Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, the UK is going to be in lockdown for a while yet, it seems, so lots of businesses are going to struggle to survive. And yet we're told things will bounce back in the second half of the year. It'll be like the roaring 20s all over again. So should we be optimistic or more likely is it going to be the case that the economy is so severely scarred and people are out of work that bouncing back is going to take some time, perhaps a lot of time, not just in the UK, but throughout the world. And overly optimistic governments might be part of the problem. That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So consumers in the UK paid off £16.6 billion in debt last year. Now, that will have contributed to part of the slowdown in economic growth. The other uh, contributing factor, of course, will be the fact that no one's been able to go to work, or lots of people haven't been able to go to work. So productivity is stuffed. But also, if we're paying off debt, then we are pulling money out of the economy as well. Apart from a blip in July, consumer credit has turned negative ever since the pandemic began. We are just not borrowing, it seems. And there is a clear divide emerging in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in other parts of the world too. Those people without a job are getting heavily into debt. Those with a job and very few ways of spending their income are saving. In fact, the household savings ratio as a proportion of disposable income went from 7.7% in Q4 2019 to 27.4% in Q2 2020. The Bank of England governor has called it a coiled spring that is ready to bounce back. Others have suggested we are about to relive the roaring 20s because uh, in, that was a, a period when we spent up latent uh, savings. So is that where we are today? Is that how you see it happening, Steve? Because a lot of people are saying, yes, this is, the, this is going to be the start of something big. We are going to spend like crazy. Can you see that happening? No, I can't. And this is actually intriguing because um, what you've, I mean, it comes down to how is savings defined? How's it measured in the national accounts to get figures like that? And the way that it's measured is simply saying, well, here's the consumption uh, levels, the gap must be savings, but oh, let's not count uh, the money used to service uh, private debt in the consumption. So, the uh, there, there is they're not directly recording what's happening to bank accounts in that they're simply saying if people earn like a, a trillion dollars and spend seven hundred billion ipso facto and they must have saved three hundred billion uh, but when you go take a look at the the actual numbers for banks you can find that rather than the level of therefore of debt falling the level of debt is actually rising and so how do you reconcile the two it's because it's, 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 it's just using a strict national income identity, you know, income equals consumption plus investment plus government spending minus taxes plus exports minus imports. And then if you do the sum of uh, everything, uh, they're looking on the consumption side for consumers, you see income is either consumed or saved, then whatever is consumed, the gap is the savings, bang, this huge level of savings, 
but the, the servicing of private debt is not included as part of the expenditure, which would be great if they actually t- t- told us we didn't have to spend any more on that. That would make us all a lot wealthier. But it means you get a huge disparity between the figures you can derive from playing around with the national accounts. And the figures you get when you look at bank statements. But anecdotally, you know, I know lots of people who are working because they work, uh, they can work from home, they can work online, who are saying they are saving money. I mean, in fact, almost, you know, everybody I know who's in that situation is saying, yeah, we're spending less because we're not getting on the train into London, for example. Uh, we're, we've not been able to go on foreign holidays. So those people who've got a reasonable amount of money have been saving money. So uh, is that pent up demand? still going to come back. It, 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 the part of your comment you made earlier about uh, who's doing it is mm. a large part of it because you can only have that pent-up demand if you've still got an income. Yeah. And, uh, of course, there's you know, the, you know this is what happened during the Great Depression. My, my own family uh, and my mother's side was a beneficiary of this because my, my grandfather uh, was a post office uh, manager and, consequently, he didn't lose his job during the Great Depression, and because there was a fall in the price level, this applied you know, globally. There was deflation. Uh, his in- his real income actually rose over that period. So my my even though you were you know you were affected by it by seeing what happened on the street every day, and that's a bit like what we're seeing with you know, the COVID nineteen now as well. Um, that only the people who lost their jobs are really devastated. Of course, that's a large part of the population during a depression. Mm. Um, but the but the people with a job did very very well, thanks very much out of that downturn, unless they were silly enough to own shares beforehand, of course, which sort of yeah. even things out. Well, the Bank of England, their own figures, they say the savings uh, are in higher income households. Those who have increased their savings, the mean income. This is from a survey they did um, for their for their monetary committee, so they could try and figure out uh, what's going on in households. So they commissioned this regular survey. Those who say that they have increased their savings, so this is just uh, people people's own perception that they've got they've gotten yeah. more money. The mean income uh, of those people was close to fifty thousand pounds. That's a household income. Those who said they saw their savings decrease, uh, the uh, the the mean income was around thirty thousand. So it is there. You know the those people who are saving are higher income households. Absolutely no surprise there. But I wonder whether no. they will still spend it or whether they're in higher income households. They're going to say, well, we'll put it away. We'll we'll we'll. Spend it on our pension or we'll uh, uh, you know we'll we won't use it just now because we're a little bit unsecure unsure about the future just yet yeah I, I think what you're going to find is that again the, the distributional effect comes into into play and the people who've saving out of this are ones who are likely to have low levels of debt to begin with mm. uh, maybe and, and and they're possibly going to be using money to buy assets maybe even shares in what's that what's that American one that's going through the roof right now a game shop yeah, uh, and, and benefit yeah. and, and benefit. It's out been of that up and down. I don't think it's good through the roof anymore. But no. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but, and I mean, also, like, or, or they the, could buy Bitcoin, for example, couldn't they? If you want to talk mm. about an asset that's really going crazy, uh, they could put it yeah. into Bitcoin if they really want to lose it at some point yeah. in the future. But look, if I look at the aggregate data for the uh, the United, let's start with the UK here, mm. uh, and look at what happens to level of household debt. If, you, if, if you, it was true there's massive amounts of savings, then there could be a massive reduction in the level of household debt. Uh-uh. If you go back to uh, 2020, the beginning of uh, the year, the level of household debt in the UK was 84% of GDP. It is now 89% of GDP. Mm. That's yeah. a five and you know, over more than – and, and this, sorry, that's not now. My mistake. That's June of last year. Yeah, so only halfway so in, through. It's got much worse months, since then. Yeah. In six months, there's been a 5% increase 
5% of GDP increase in the level of household debt, which is because it's only 80% to start with, far more than a 5% uh, rise. Yeah, actually, just going right back, it's from 84 to 89%. So the way numbers are going, uh, by the time you get to, to data at the end of, two, of 2021, or 2020, end of 2020, oh, sorry, end of 20. Yeah, beginning of 2021, end of 2020, you're going to see possibly a 10% of GDP increase in household debt yeah. in the UK. And, uh, and, and then, yeah. And a chunk of that is probably going to be small, you know, very small businesses, people who've been forced to borrow for to keep their business afloat. Uh, they've not been getting well, yeah. necessary aid from, from the government. So, you know, for, for sole traders, it's yeah. very difficult to div- divide, the, the, you know, distinguish household debt from, from, from your business's debts because they all just uh, mesh together, aren't they, in effect? Well, yeah, I mean, this, this is, this tends to be, I think the way data is assembled, it tends to be looking at mortgages and unsecured household debt. Mm. Um, so if you're like, if you're a small business person, you'll often dip into, you know, if you have any, any buffer in your mortgage, you'll dip into the, dip into the buffer when you need to. So that could explain, you know, the increases in debt, debt, debt there. But again, the income distribution you're talking about that goes against the small business argument. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And we know small businesses are also getting into debt with banks. So net bank borrowing by small and medium business uh, in 2020 was $43.3 billion, compared to 2019, $1.4 billion. It's a massive mm. increase in small business debt. And you're seeing uh, the same thing in the corporate figure. So again, in the UK, yeah. corporate, uh, corporate debt started at 70% of GDP in the beginning of 2020. Uh, by June, is 79%. Mm. That's a 10% of GDP increase in corporate debt. So that just doesn't gel at all with the arguments about massive amounts of savings going on. And it's because the economists who are saying this are working for the national income identities. If C falls and Y remains you know, relatively stable, then this is, a, again, because of a lot of you know, government spending turns up as part of of part of the uh, GDP, net government spending, that's increased dramatically. So those figures can come out looking really, really good. But you look at the bank statements and uh-uh, there's been a massive increase of the indebtedness of the private sector. And that applies in the USA as well. So like the UK situation, 5% of GDP increase in household debt, 10% increase in corporate. In America, the household, and this is only between January and June, I emphasize, uh, Household debt began at 74.5% of GDP. It's now 77%, well, June 77%, so about a 3% increase there. And corporate debt has gone up much more dramatically again. Corporate debt began at uh, uh, 75.5% of GDP. It's now 845 so a 9% of GDP increase in corporate debt. So the aggregate figure of private debt in the UK, I'm probably bombarding listeners with numbers here, has gone from 150% to 162% mm. in six months in America. And in the UK, it's gone, again, I've got to just go through, move through a couple of graphs here. It's gone from 154% in, in January to 168% in June. So... Mm. I think economists are leading themselves astray by their own accounting methods, which is extremely amazing to me. I've never seen them do it before. 
<laughs> sarcasm is shining through as usual steve you we've got there you go. The, um, the the and yet you know the governor of the uh the reserve bank you know the bank of england uh, andrew bailey is saying you know no it's all going to come back like a, a, a coiled spring and he's pointing specifically to this household saving figure and i'm sure this is why uh the uk because they're looking at all of these savings is saying mm. well we don't need to do anything like they've done in the united states where you know we pay money into people's bank accounts could we find that you know the 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 idea of the of of an economy stalls because of that and in fact the best thing to do might be just as kevin rudd did in 2007 or 2008 whenever it was in australia mm. pumping money into people's bank accounts might actually be the best way to kickstart the economy i think so i mean this this is this this will be classic if it actually happens because this is a classic instance of economists not understanding banks debt and money telling us what to do about banks debt and money and if, if, but just by doing the simple, you know, Y equals, you know, savings is equal to Y minus con- income minus consumption, basically, seeing a fall in consumption, relatively comparatively stable figures in, in an output, and bang, you're seeing people have saved the money. No, the way you record the numbers is you're not including debt service and you're not including the change in debt at all. You're not measuring that at all. No. So you're, hyper- you're, you're, ex- you're extending what you're seeing as, as savings from a national accounting sense. You're extrapolating to believe people are going to have more money in their bank accounts and less debt. The reality is they, they, there may be some with more money in their bank accounts, but the aggregate level of debt's gone up dramatically. Well, can't, so, we, can't, we yeah. look, can't we check that just by looking at the amount of money in people's bank accounts? Exactly what I'm doing, mate. Right, okay. <laughs> but they don't do it. See, for right. what your banks don't matter in neoclassical economics. So, mm. I mean, this, this is what I find, you know, one of the things that many things I'm crazy about economics in general is that economists, economic institutions, I won't say economists collect this stuff, but just because, uh, particularly because a guy called Copeland was involved in designing the national uh, uh, national income and production accounts of America, then they're called the NIPA tables, and he designed those uh, as a as a form of economic management after the Second World War. Uh, and this is all you know. If you think about the Second World War, it was a huge planning exercise. Uh, it, was, it was directed manufacturing, uh, planning consumption, trying to restrict uh, personal consumption, force people to save, and actually getting into their bank accounts as well. This all happened during the Second World War, and then in the aftermath, all the mechanics that which worked so well. You know, if it works so well, that's why you and I still speak English. Um, if 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 it hadn't worked um, that well, things would be very different. Mm. Uh, but the Copeland included uh, very comprehensive data on the uh, on the what they call the flow of funds as part of the NIPA tables, and that includes the amount of debt, private debt different classifications of the debt. There's, there's a, it's a dog's breakfast at the very bottom level of the table, unfortunately, because he didn't distinguish properly between bank debt and non-bank debt. So you, that, that's one of the things I find frustrating about it. But the data's there. Now, at the same time, economists who now run those institutions have convinced themselves that banks and debt and money don't matter, so they don't even look at these bloody numbers in the first place. Yeah. So what you're saying is the way they're looking at and, 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 and assuming the, the build-up of uh, of savings 
doesn't tally with just looking at bank accounts. So they're saying savings no. are increasing. You say you look at bank accounts, you see that bank accounts are actually decreasing. The amount. I'm not just looking at. I'm looking more. I'm looking specifically at levels of debt here, which is increasing right. dramatically right. and radically. It's right. the trouble. But it could again, be the distribu- could be there'll be a distribution factor here as well, though, won't there? In yeah, the, there would know, be definitely. We know yeah. that a lot of people are. I mean, it's you know, getting back to that K-shaped curve that everyone talks about. You're you're either on the upward curve, in which case you possibly are. You probably are saving, or you're on the other side where your debt is going down. It's question about how one balances against the other but the bigger question is how do we stop that happening and how do we take some money uh, from those savings to help grow uh, the the other half of the economy you know and the, and the great hope I think coming from everybody is that well when things kick back to normal those with savings are going to be out spending and they are going to help to reduce the debts of the other half of society because they'll be shopping in their shops or buying whatever it is they produce and uh, they'll be getting people uh, off the dole and and, uh, and and back into work and uh, everything's going to be hunky dory. It's it's all going. One half is going to help the other half. That's the assumption. Mm, yeah, I mean the wealthy half hearing the help, help helping out the poorer half would be a novel a novel experience. Trickle down, Steve. Trickle down. <laughs> uh, you know, I've actually realised. You know, now you I've realised that we pronounce it wrongly. It's actually quite true, but it's pronounced wrongly. It's actually trick le down. <laughs> All right. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm yeah. clutching at the straws, perhaps a little bit. Yeah. But look, the, the 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 unemployment number is is uh, is a worry, isn't it? So we had 1.7 million people unemployed in October. Okay, it doesn't sound like a huge number, but it's a 32 percent increase in a year, and uh, you know, and the, uh, to, top that up with that you know big increase in small business borrowing as well um you know that that's that small business part of the of, of the economy mixed with people who are just not working I, I mean there's going to be more stimulus needed than the government is prepared to give right now and that's what i'm afraid of is if they think it's over and like you know, i've i've learned since having spent you know about 5 years of my life in the uk that the UK has a incredible capacity to, you know, to suck defeat from the jaws of jaws of victory. So having <laughs> having stuff and general and, and economics, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Ever since the Second World War, you know, I think they're probably still mm. guilty about winning it. Um, don't mention the war, <laughs> um, but but yeah, they. So you know the. You, what they're doing here is that they had a total stuff up on the on the virus. I mean, it's got to be one of the worst. It is the worst country on the planet in terms of death rates, but they're now mm. doing brilliantly out of vaccination, and that largely, I think, reflects the distributed nature of the national uh, NHS. Mm. Uh, that, and I, like I knew this how living in, in the UK, uh, I was quite lucky to be living two doors from the local NHS clinic. And, yeah. uh, and basically, if you, if you had to... If you wanted to uh, get anything checked up, you'd make a call in the morning. You'd wait for a call back in the mid-morning to tell you which doctor you were seeing in the afternoon. Go in and get whatever's necessary and leave. I had a tetanus shot there that that way that way one time. Um, this will be uh, you know, the, the virus. The, the if success with the vaccine is huge. If that lulls them to believing, oh, it's all over now, and now we've got the vaccine working, we can shut down all the income supports we've got. Then, when they do it, the people who are unemployed are going to be un- unable to pay their their mortgages, their their their, their rent, um, and they're already suffering on that front. I think we could, we could see um, you know a slump without a boom beforehand coming out of this. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, the uh, unfortunately uh, the opposition, Keir Starmer, you see opposition. A, well, is he opposition? Party. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the other party. Yeah, the yeah. other. Well, yeah, the other well, party. They are the major party in the parliament. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. No, well, well, Keir Starmer is the opposition. He's, you know... He, opposition? Uh, yeah. That yeah. means you've got to oppose, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, you think he's not doing that? Well, no, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. Well, exactly the point I was trying to make, in fact, that he's basically towing the same line. But exactly. Kind of, same he, thing he, in Australia, yeah. He, he came out with this, this crazy idea. Now, you talked a while ago on this podcast about the need for uh, coronavirus bonds. Yep. But that has somewhat been overtaken by events because the because your because your argument there was basically we should just issue a lot of bonds uh which the uh which the Bank of England could buy uh and uh, and that would fund the government through this. But we, we do, whether we call them coronavirus bonds or not that's exactly what's happened isn't it the, the mm. government issued a whole heap of bonds because they've got uh, heavily into it well, let's use the word debt just so everyone understands it uh, and and mm. the central bank has bought them so Keir Starmer is now saying well we need recovery bonds but I'm not sure the point of this he says these would be interest bearing safe and long term with the proceeds earmarked for post covid recovery and uh, but he's seeing it as a as a, a, a retail investment. So mums and dads could buy recovery bonds to do their bit to help Britain recover. But why would you do that? Because that would add, add nothing beyond what is currently happening with the government overspending and the Bank of England buying up the bonds. I mean, it's well, in fact, what, it takes what, what money out. Of, this, this this is this is the important uh, qualification about government uh, money creation, and this is why. You know, um, I'm not sure this is covered in Stephanie Kelton's book. It probably is, uh, but I know I've covered it myself now in that little uh, palindrome paper I put out a while ago called uh, Omomo, One, Monet- uh, One Monetary Model of uh, Modern Monetary Operations, um, that when you sell, when the banks or the government for that matter, sell bonds to the non-bank public, it's actually reducing the money supply. Mm. It's taking money... Because what is happening to pay, to pay those bonds, people have to use their deposit accounts. So they yeah. transfer money out of their deposit accounts to the government or to the private to yeah. the private banks. When they do that, that turns up as an increase in as, as if, 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 if you pay if you're buying the the bonds off the government, uh, your deposit account falls, so the bank liabilities go down, and bank liabilities are the major part of the money supply, and then the reserves go down as well because that money is being transferred to the tre- to the uh, treasury. So you're actually taking money out of the economy and not financing anything. The only way these things would actually finance expenditure by a government agency was if the bonds were the revenue from the bonds went to local councils instead. Yeah. Because it goes to local councils and local councils, of course, also operate with bank accounts at private banks. And so the money taken out of the public households are buying the bonds. Then the household accounts fall by X dollars or X pounds. The, uh, the, the local uh, government accounts would rise by X pounds. And then you would actually be just transferring where the money was. You wouldn't change the amount of money in existence. It's, it's, it's not a support. It's not a source of new money whatever way you look at it. So yeah. it's just a fallacy. It's another fallacy coming out of not understanding monetary dynamics. And even if you weren't following that monetary dynamics argument and you're just looking at, uh, you know, what people were going to do with their money, what is what is it better to do? Is it better for you to give that money to the government in the form, you know, basically buying up bonds, which means the money is going into, in, into government coffers, 
or are you better off spending it out in the economy, creating jobs? You, you want to increase in, in the aftermath of a crisis like this, you, you know, again, leaving aside the whole climate change issue, which I hate having to leave out in these conversations, but hey. <laughs> but let's do it today, it. just for you're once. stuck with it, uh, <laughs> uh, is, is that you're taking, you want, you want to boost in aggregate demand and by selling bonds to the private sector, you're reducing aggregate demand. Hmm. Yeah. So this idea that you actually boost the, uh, the the money supply by by seeing it landing in the uh, the bank accounts of of local authorities isn't a bad one, actually, is it? Because hmm. local authorities can't raise money. They but if 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 this money was underwritten by the central banks, I mean, actually, it would be you know, I, I would be very wary of uh, buying bonds that have been issued, for example, by. Waverley Council, my local council, unless, uh, but I'd be happy for them to have the money to be able to implement local programs, but I'd be very worried about getting my money back off them if I bought those bonds. But if it was under, underwritten by the central bank, then you'd 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 have that assurance, wouldn't you? So, Or yeah. underwritten by the Treasury, whoever underwrites, you'd have that assurance that you're going to get your money back. You'd be quite happy about that. And I think this 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 recovery has to come from the local level up, doesn't it? I think the, the danger is that you do everything in a too centralised fashion. And, uh, you know, you, you're, you're perhaps going to uh, have huge swathes of the country that really are not going to benefit, however much the Prime Minister talks about levelling things up. Mm, mm. Yeah. So, um, again, it's um, – I'm sure somebody in Starmer's advisory thought, this is a great idea. We can sell this as a way that, uh, you know, a patriotic thing and you're helping the government out to give the government money that it doesn't actually have. I think they create the money. Um, I think I think he's looking at war. I think what's happened is they've researched what happened in other other crises, and they've said, "Oh, look, war bonds." Uh, But of course, you know, it was uh, that they were, you know, pre-fiat currency. I understand in the United States, in fact, most of the retail bonds, what were they called, the the the, the, the war bonds there? Liberty bonds, uh, I think. Yeah, I think most of them actually bought out by banks anyway, so they weren't really a, 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 a retail investment. But we, but it was but, pre-fiat money days. It was a different, different issue. Well, no, it's still the same sort of story because that you know, in that case, the government deficit created the money that financed the war. Um, and uh, the Liberty bonds, uh, if, I don't have That's the research at my bus, fingers, yeah. Mm. But um, when you look at, at how um, uh, people who understood what they were talking about, like, like uh, oh, what's his name, Barsley, Barsley Rum, uh, Rumble? Rumble, yeah. Okay. okay, he saw that as a way of reducing private consumption and reserving more of the money for state expenditure on the war machine. Mm. So rather than the war bonds actually providing money for the war effort, war bonds are a way of taking money out of circulation yeah. in, the privates, in the private sector to enable... Uh, less pressure on factories for consumer goods and enable more of the space for producing mil- um, uh, uh, military equipment. So yeah. the idea yeah. that it actually raises money is wrong. And, you know, it, it looks like it's happening because you're handing over money. It must be, you know, it must be creating it. But you're handing over money. You're taking it out of circulation. Uh, it's If you were giving the money to another business or you're giving the money to a local council, then the money doesn't disappear. But if you're paying it to the federal government or you're buying it off a bank, um, then that's actually reducing the money supply. Well, that's very encouraging then, isn't it? So on the one side, we've got we've got a, a government and a central bank that assumes that uh, there's a whole heap of money there that's going to be spent, which in fact doesn't exist and isn't going to be spent. And on the other side, we've got an opposition that says, well, let's make things worse by taking more money out of the economy. Uh, yeah, we're, yeah. We're between a rock, we're not even between a rock and a hard place, we're between a rock and a... Uh, the marshmallow. 
<laughs> What's up? I don't know. Uh, you know, you hate it when you start an analogy and you don't know how you're going to finish it. But, uh, but between a rock and something far worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, how do we get out of this situation? What What is the best answer then? Is it, it is simply just to look at the United States and say, well, OK, we need a big cash injection into people's bank accounts, isn't it? Yeah, and, and also a debt jubilee. And this is the one mm. thing, when the, reason, the very first thing I pushed when, when it was obvious this was going to be a major crisis was let's use it as a way of giving giving people money, uh, which they've, they're not, not getting from their cash flow of their ordinary businesses now, uh, and enabling them to pay their debts down because if you don't do it, their debts are going to rise because they're going to have financial commitments they can't meet out of cash flow. Therefore, the interest they don't pay is going to be capitalized and accumulated in the level of private debt. And that's probably a large part of what's going on behind those aggregate figures I'm looking at as well. Right. But the danger of doing that, one thing we did see last year was a big increase in mortgage approvals in 2020. Mm. Uh, And, uh, you know, so people are buying houses Uh, now, whether they're um, whether that's refinancing or. But I think, you know, some of it is it's new investments. So, uh, yeah, what's to stop that happening? You know, it's happening already. If you have a debt jubilee and you're writing off debt, people are just going to move to try and spend more in bigger houses. If we all want to spend more on bigger houses, then obviously what happens is uh, ordinary houses just become more expensive. We don't get bigger houses. We just get the same house we had before, but we're paying more for it. Well, I'm sort of going to, I mean, I'd always combine those things with reforms about how much money banks can lend for, for buying uh, financial assets or buying, mm. buying property. Um, so I wouldn't just do it in a one-off. The trouble is it won't happen. We're talking hypotheticals here. And yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. old enough to know my ideas won't be listened to, uh, <laughs> except, by, except by critics and uh, who people as critical of the system as I am. So we're putting forward hypotheticals that won't actually happen. Mm. Um, but that's, that's what we should be doing, paying down the level of private debt. Now, at the moment, it's exploding. And, and that's why I think we're, we're going to see – you know, this this will be an interesting test case to see just how, uh, you know, whether we have an unexpected downturn coming out of the post-coronavirus period, if we actually get there. And that, that's the other question, of course. Uh, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and uh, there's no way, no reason the virus is going to cooperate with us. And, and basically, you know, right off into the sunset, we may find ourselves coping with more virulent and more dangerous uh, versions of it as time goes on, particularly thanks to the breeding grounds of the UK and the USA. Now, I, do, I should suggest to everybody, by the way, before you start listening to this podcast, always make sure you're in quite a good mood to start with, because <laughs> by the end of it, Steve might just be, you might just tip you over the edge. So please be in a good mood so that he can knock you down a, a couple of rungs, but you're still reasonably sane by, by the end of it. Let's assume that we get out of all of it and it's going to be, mm. uh, we, we, we get over the virus. Uh, it is going to be interesting to see, isn't it? The, 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 the test case really another test case for us as to whether we do uh, bounce back or as you're saying uh, the economy stalls and uh, and if that if that is the case then they will need to raise yet more money to pump money into people's bank accounts because there'll be very little else they can do i suspect in right. short, as a short-term measure let's watch with interest good to talk steve see you soon okay mate bye and next time we're going to look at the vaccine rollout we know that we need it to be everywhere not just in western democracies it's got to get to every corner of the world so that this thing doesn't fester in developing nations and building new strains which are going to come back to haunt us so how is the world health organization's attempt to roll it out everywhere going well it's a bit short of cash apparently so isn't now the time that we should all be stabbing in we'll look at what's happening with the vaccine rollout uh, next time on the debunking economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.